When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms.、Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help, and all types of audio engineering. Passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Right to Play is an international humanitarian organization using sport and play programs to encourage the healthy physical, social, and emotional development of the world's most disadvantaged children. RTP at UBC is run by a team of committed university students who advocate sport for development, and it is the first university chapter of its kind. We want you to get involved. Together, we can educate students about sport for development, help raise money, and teach children here in the Lower Mainland about the importance of sport and a healthy lifestyle. So check us out at www.interchange.ubc.ca/rtpubc. Having trouble finding affordable, fresh-baked goods and coffee? Come down to Agora Cafe located in the Macmillan Building at UBC. There's also space available to study. Wednesday, February twenty fifth, and you are tuned in to the Arts Report. Hi, everybody. Hello. 
We've got, uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks, it's down to, it's the, the arts report core, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank, the golden trio, that's us. <laughs> so, Ashley Rohit, uh, how, how were your weeks and uh, how were your weeks in arts events? My weeks in arts events, uh, it's been pretty good, pretty good. Uh, to people who don't know, right now there's some stuff happening at UBC, um, the UBC Players Club, Festival Dionysia. Mm. It just started um, I, yeah, yesterday, and they also have it today, and they have yep. it on uh, this upcoming um, March 1st, I think March 1st or 3rd. Anyways, it's really, really cool. I actually will be going to one of their shows, so I'm pretty excited for that. What uh, So what is the festival? Right now they're doing a lot of one acts. So what people do is actual nice. uh, students, they write a one act kind of play and then uh, people act it out. And it's like, a, I guess it's kind of like a collection of these different sort of uh, plays. And I'm wondering if there's going to be an, uh, a theme that's all attached. I don't really know too much about it. I'm, I'm going to go watch it and hopefully... It'll be really spectacular. So you can you you'll report back to us next week about it was the festival Dionysia. Yeah, that's right. Cool, UBC players called that one act play. Is that brings me back to like grade nine acting class. Oh, really? you did, did that. Did you do? Did you yeah. do one act plays? I I was in a couple one act plays. I would say yeah. Same here. High school theater, man, that was the best. Drama class was like a great excuse to not only like have a fun time uh, making plays and sketches, but mm-hmm. usually. Uh, you know, you met some cool people, some real characters, the real interesting characters of high school you could always <laughs> find in a drama class. And yeah, no, uh, I, I should have joined UBC Players Club earlier, but hey, I ended up getting involved at CITR, so trade-offs, you got that's that's life right there. Trade-offs for sure. Well, we've got a, a really good show for, for everyone in, uh, listening today. Uh, today on the show, we're going to be bringing a couple of interviews. One is with... Uh, Kate Latashewski of um, the Cinematheque nice. downtown. They're, this Saturday, they're doing a 24-hour movie marathon. Uh, and they've done it before, and it's from 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. Saturday to Sunday. <laughs> I have a question. For the 24, is, did anyone ever do an actual 24? Like, they sat, 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 they sat through everything. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the whole point of this. That there's some people who are dedicated. Yeah, I think that Kate said about 50 people survived. Wow. And there's, that's a um, decent amount. <laughs> yeah, they lasted the whole way through. No one left to sleep, she said. No one, which is incredible. <laughs> How do they eat? How do they go to the restroom? Well, they... They, they have intermissions, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. They can, they, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Definitely, yeah. And there's uh, film survival kits. We're, we're also... Uh, <laughs> we've got an interview with Dan Perlmutter, who is a, um, a director and a writer. He, um, he created a movie called um, Big News from Grand Rock, which is a Canadian comedy starring some um, Ennis Esmer and... And Gordon Pinsent, some Canadian actors, and it's opening this Friday. So we'll be uh, playing my interview with him. And um, and the big interview of the, of the day is Stephen Galloway is going to be. We're going to get him on the line in about um, 20, 20, 25 minutes from now. 25, 30 minutes from now. <laughs> the time yeah. always changes. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, here, let's start off with um, with the... 24-hour movie marathon at Pacific Cinematheque. Here is that interview. (laughs) 
All right, it's Jake with the Arts Report, and I'm here at Pacific Cinematheque with Kate Ladashewski talking about the 24-hour movie marathon. Hi. Um, what What is a 24-hour movie marathon? Well, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. We're going to screen movies for 24 hours in our theater for a collection of avid film lovers. And I know that you did the marathon two years ago as part of the 40th anniversary of the theater. Um, what? But have you done it? In, you've done it in the past as well. Yeah, we did a few of them in the '90s uh, as fundraisers for the Cinematheque, um, where people were sponsored by their friends and family and came and watched. I think we did road movies and history of cinema, um, and we decided to bring it back a couple of years ago. And last time there was a theme, and the theme was movies about movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this year the lineup is top secret, mm-hmm. um, but wh- what can people expect? Um, well, we also have a theme this year, which is also top secret, although if you look at our poster or website, we have included a couple of hints about what the theme is. I think most film fans could probably guess from looking at it. The theme um, and maybe a couple of the movies too? Possibly. I mean, people could definitely speculate, as I'm sure people already are speculating, Um but we'll be showing f- uh, 15 films in total, and we've really looked at it as a creating sort of a mixed tape, so kind of the perfect rhythm of building up and then coming back down. So we have some serious films, some foreign films, uh, some comedies, documentaries. It's just a real mix of, of films. So we can expect different genres, you know, different, different countries, different... Absolutely. Um, Something yeah. for everybody. How, how do you program that into... I mean, 24 hours is a long time yes. to be in a theater uh, to watch movies. How do you program, um, you know, what time of day to put what movie? That's a good question. Well, we want to start off with something fun, I think, and then uh, consider if we're showing something a little more... Mm, requires a little bit more thinking. We'll show it earlier rather than at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, last last time we showed a pretty crazy horror film at 4 o'clock in the morning, so that was to really fun. wake everybody back up. Yeah, yeah, so it's, you know, it's finding that sort of balance and rhythm and getting people moving and keeping people awake, yeah. Um, now, if someone needs... How, how does someone go through a a marathon like this physically like is if you need a stretch or something like that uh, are there other (laughs) activities available yes so through the whole movie marathon we're going to be having lots of lots going on beyond the films including uh, a special pimped out seat that will be raffled off throughout the evening on a rotation basis Um, we'll have lots of prizes we have some prize sponsors that will be here uh, we're going to have some sponsored snack breaks. Uh, Cardam's Donuts has sponsored one of our snack breaks and Candy Meister Candies, um, and then some other little surprises. Uh, we also are providing a survival kit to audience members with lots of goodies from sponsors and from the Cinematheque to help them keep going through the night. We'll have free coffee brewing the entire movie marathon. Salt, Salt Spring Island, Salt I guess. Salt Spring yeah. Coffee, yeah. So there's, we're, and we're going to try to have some activities to kind of get people up and stretching and, and moving through the night. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that, the, so the survival kit is available for the first hundred tickets sold or yeah. seats secured. Yeah. Um, 
how what what is in a survival kit? Well, um, it will be a selection of kind of, everything is sort of secretive. It's sort of okay. a surprise to the people that are coming. Um, but we'll have a um, a film magazine. Uh, some other little goodies. Candy Meisters donated something. Um, City TV is our one of our main sponsors, so they've included some goodies in the bag as well. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's enough incentive that you it, it will help you through the twenty four hours. Yeah. Okay. Are there any movies um, that you pick that is sort of like maybe it's two in the morning and you know that people are going to sleep? Like, are, are there sleeper <laughs> sections? Uh. No, we didn't. We didn't do things specifically okay. like that. Um, no, we're trying to keep people awake. I mean, people can decide if to sleep if they would like to. Nobody slept during the last movie marathon that I'm aware of. Nobody left the really? theater to sleep anyway. Um, but people did bring pillows and pajamas and you know their comfy stuff. So they may have slept in the theater a little bit. And um, th the event is expected to sell out, I, I guess, or, or did it last last time? It didn't sell out last time. Actually, we're hoping that it m won't sell out because it's just you, you want to have that space to stretch out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it would get a little smelly in the theater. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there are yeah. no showers on site. I saw that in some of the um, kind of guides for what to bring, deodorants included, yeah, and, yeah. you know, snacks maybe, and pillows, something to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to have some things to keep people fresh throughout the evening as well. What does yeah. that mean? Uh, we're going to have an amenities basket in the washroom this year. Okay. Yeah, with some deodorant and, yeah, want to keep it pleasant for everybody. We can, <laughs> but, like, no Nag Trampra incense or anything to, like, no, kind of, no. no. Okay, <laughs> definitely. Um, and so people, should people bring their own food and, and snacks? People can bring their own snacks for sure. Um, we've just suggested that people stay away from smelly snacks like pepperoni sticks or egg sandwiches, things mm -hmm. like that. But absolutely, people can bring their own snacks. And we'll be providing snacks as well. And what goes on in, in the lobby during, uh, during the marathon? Well, our concession will be open for the full 24 hours, we have some, volu our volunteers are coming in to help out, um, to do some graveyard shifts, okay, dedicated yeah. volunteers, and we'll also have some tables set up with games and different things, so if people need a break or want to step out for a few minutes, they can do that too. One of the things that sets um, Cinematech aside from a lot of the other theaters is the range of formats that you're um, able to use. Are, are most of the films... Um, are, are you going to be screening 35-millimeter reels, or um, is it a mix of digital and, and analog films? I can say to your listeners that we're screening one of our films from our own film archive on 16-millimeter. Really? Which we're pretty excited about. Yeah, it's a, it's a special treat for the audience. Cool. Yeah. How extensive is your archive? What, what sort of an archive does the Cinematech have? Uh, well, we have an archive of over, I think, 2,500 films, um, primarily on 16 millimeter. So that includes um, a lot of experimental works by Vancouver filmmakers in the 70s. Um, we also have a collection of films that were donated to us by the NFB. Uh, and then we also have a classics collection. So, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Eisenstein, all kinds of great classics on 16 millimeter that we're very lucky to have here. Definitely, yeah. Um, last year it started off with a classic film, I think. It was a Buster Keaton 
movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so Sherlock I, Jr. Sherlock yeah. Jr., yeah. And I, I guess people can expect um, a similar format this year, perhaps. Starting off with something maybe older and fun, and maybe? Maybe. it's. Er- I will say it's it's early on in the marathon, the 16-millimeter okay. print, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. when people are, are awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing with us a little bit about the 24-hour movie marathon. Um, and what's what's the biggest uh, draw for people in? What's the biggest case that we can make for people to come down? Oh, well, I think if you're a lover of cinema, this is just a really fun opportunity to sort of challenge yourself, see some films you may not have seen before, see some films that you may have seen before and love, meet a whole bunch of people that also love cinema. Um, it's a real bonding experience. Last time... Uh, people were cheering at the beginning of each film. It was a, just a really fun experience that we're really excited to bring back. And, and of course, the lineup is fully secret, but we can expect um, maybe kind of class, classic movies or movies that essential cinema, maybe, is that... We have some of that. We have, we have a total mix. A yeah, full mix. I would say it's a total mix um, of some, yeah, comedies... Docs, some classic cinema, yeah, but finally curated by Cinematech staff, and we've labored for hours and hours over the lineup, so we're really excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, Saturday, February 28th to Sunday, March 1st from 10 a.m. to 10 a.m., um, 24-hour movie marathon at the Cinematech, and tickets are available online. Online. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jake. Thanks very much. <laughs> All right, now the Pacific Cinematheque, uh, the lineup is top secret, mm. um, and the theme is also top secret, but if you look at the poster, there's a big clock, so, you know. <laughs> hint, hint. Alice in Wonderland, I knew it. <laughs> it could be, yeah. And we we have a pair of tickets to give away mm-hmm. to, that, uh, to that event, so if you want to go to the 24-hour film festival at the Cinematheque um, downtown. This Saturday. This Saturday. Because what else you got to do on your weekend, right? Like, come on. <laughs> Movies. Well, it's, and it's, you, people do it on Netflix anyways. So yeah, more... just binge watch. But, you know, you get to be in, you know, in a theater. A proper theater. And yeah, yeah, you don't have to feel bad about it because everyone's in Everyone's binge watching with bringing you. snacks and That's coffee right. and everything. Yeah, yeah community vibe too. Yeah. And the, the, they'll bring out films that are, made, there's going to be comedy, there's going to be um, old uh, eclectic movies and, um, and some documentaries too. So if you want a pair of tickets, um, email us arts at citr.ca with the subject headline 24-hour movie marathon. Yeah, why not? Let's make it easier. <laughs> or, or similar. Also, yeah. if you go to it, then you can like tell somebody, like, yeah, I went to a 24-hour movie marathon. They'd be like, that's pretty cool, you know? Icebreaker. I I didn't even survive the Lord of the Rings marathon (laughs) that my friends tried to do like years back. Like, I died after fellowship. (laughs) After the fellowship of the rings? Because what? It's the extended version. Oh my God. It's the extended version. I'm sorry. (laughs) Didn't even last as long as Boromir. Oh my God. Uh, all right, so uh, that makes me so sad. Yeah, so if you want a pair of tickets, just email us arts at citr.ca. 
Take it away, Ashley. All right, one thing that people should also know is that SFU is uh, doing a play called The Unnatural and Accidental Women by Marie Clemens, and it's very important to us because she is a Métis woman. This is written back in 2004, and the play is based on a 30-year-old uh, murder case involving the deaths of at least 10 women in the Vancouver downtown east side. So this is about the how the Canadian justice system works, how you know visibility, like especially for crimes against women, are very obscured, especially those against indigenous people. So I really would like everyone to check it out. It will have some mature themes because this is you know not an easy subject to talk about. But I think when you're living in Vancouver, you should also be aware that this space, even UBC, is on you know, native. Uh, Native Canadian, you know, tribal lands. And I think it's a good idea for people to know that just because we've taken their land that they're they're still here, their presence is still here, and how is it now in the modern, the quote-unquote modern world. So one thing about um, this is it's starting uh, tomorrow, uh, Thursday, February 26th, until Saturday 28th. Then again, it'll um, reconvene March 3rd to March 7th, and this at 8 p.m., It'll be at the Fay and Milton Wong Experimental Theater at the Gold Court Center for the Arts, 149 West Hastings. And if you are a student or a senior, it's only $5. So come on, guys. I really I really would want everyone to come and watch this. Very important to me. And, of course, a uh, regular price uh, is $15. So a really accessible and really meaningful yeah. um, piece. And what, what was the title again? One more it time. It is The Unnatural and Accidental Women. It's Perfect. by Marie Clements. Well, thanks very much for, for letting us know about that. All right. Now and I'm going to go watch it. So I'm going to let you guys know how I feel about yeah, it, too. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Next week, we'll, we'll get the lowdown. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, we've got uh, one more interview here. This is with Dan Perlmutter, and I spoke to him over the phone last week. Um, he wrote and directed a, um, a new film called Big News in Grand Rock, and that's coming out this Friday. <laughs> from Grand Rock is a new Canadian comedy written and directed by Daniel Perlmutter. The film opens this Friday, February 27th, and stars Ennis Esmer and Gordon Pinsent. Last week, I spoke with Daniel Perlmutter over the phone to talk about the experience creating the film. All right, welcome to uh, CITR. Um, how, how's everything going with the, with the movie so far? It's been great, you know, the build-up to the, the opening on the 27th, and uh, yeah, it's been exciting. Big news from Grand Rock. Um, you've you've written and directed it, and um, tell me a little bit about about some of the cast involved. Uh, well, the lead is Ennis Esmer, who some people may know from The Listener. Uh, he's on a show Man Seeking Woman now. He's a very funny actor, uh, and him he actually got involved in the project initially because this movie started as a pitch uh, at a pitch competition that the Toronto Film Festival uh, has every year called Pitch This. And he, I was pitching the idea for this movie, and he was hosting that competition. And he kind of liked the idea and approached me afterwards and said he wanted to be involved. And then when we finally uh, were able to make the movie years later, he was still interested. So that was great to be able to work with him. And see, there's some videos online of you two um, together, and it seems like you've you've developed a pretty good friendship out of this. I'm thinking of the one, there's a promo video up on uh, Vimeo of you know, just Skype chatting about, about the upcoming release. Um, what's, what's it like working with them? 
Yeah, you know, it was great. We Over the years, we'd meet every once in a while and just kind of talk, uh, you know, about our shared love of comedies and, and the types of movies and, and about this project. And, uh, yeah, it was good. We, we got along so well, and I found him funny, and we were able to uh, pretty quickly, you know, communicate ideas back and forth, which was a, a big help on set because you're moving fast, but you want to make sure there's time for the actors to improvise and uh, having someone like him who really got what I was going for and what I wanted was, was great. Because he's in, you know, he's in almost every scene. So it was, uh, his performance really set the tone for the movie. As the writer, how, um, how do you approach improvisation? Do you, do you welcome it with, within your scenes? Or, or, or do you like to kind of, um, are, are there times when you really want to, to be strict to, to what's on the page? No, I mean, if anybody has an idea that's, that's better than what's on the page, I'm always uh, open to it and, and, and hoping for that, really. But for me, some of my favorite moments in the movie are all improvised. And it's tough on, a, on a, such a tight schedule to make sure you carve out time and make that a priority to allow uh, the actors to improvise and to give them the space to do that. Uh, but I knew that was, you know, a, a priority for me, really, was to create those moments. So, yeah, I was happy to have whoever had ideas, whoever could bring anything, and really all the performers did, so that was great. Ennis Esmer, he's, uh, he's been noted for the film Best Actor at uh, the LA, LA Comedy Film Festival. Um, the film itself has been a uh, selection at Cinefest Film Festival in Calgary. Um, I guess I didn't have a question at that point. <laughs> yeah, I just, no, it, I just it, wanted been, to read out these impressive facts. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. We've also been uh, taking it around with the, the Film Circuit, which is a program that TIFF has uh, that takes films to smaller communities across the country and that has been amazing i've gone to a bunch of those screenings uh, through ontario and i'm going to do some on the during, on the west coast in april i think and uh, that's been really a treat because it is a comedy set in a small town so to be able to take it to small towns and, and show it has been has been a lot of fun so i, I want to talk a little bit about gordon pinsent gordon pinsent working in the film yeah, that, I mean, that was uh, quite something that we were able to get him and uh, that he agreed to do the film. And, you know, his first day on set, it was like there was, there was this different atmosphere and it just like heightened the whole, uh, everybody's performance. And uh, But he was such a, a nice guy and so great and generous. And he also, you know, had so many great ideas about uh, what to date, where to take his character and he was also, you know, we were filming in, in Midland, Ontario, in this uh, town, and he would just kind of between takes sit out on the sidewalk. We were filming right on the main street, the, the offices of the newspaper we built right on the main street, and just chatting with everybody. So, it was, so he, he was great to work with. Is it, um, is it daunting go, going to set and knowing that you're going to be um, directing someone like Gordon Pinsent, an Order of Canada member? Well, you know, right. He was just right away, you know, on board and ready to work. And I, you know, I think he could see. I hope that this was uh, uh, we were all there to 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 make something happen. So he right away, uh, you know, made made me feel like comfortable and, and ready to talk to him about the uh, the role and his performance. And uh, you know, not that he needed any real direction. He he uh, he was there to work and and did a, such a great job. And we were lucky, also, you know. We had the rest of the cast was amazing, but we were lucky. We also had his uh, daughter in the film, Leah Pinson, who plays the mayor in the film, and she was fantastic. And uh, she, another performer who brought so much and had these little improvised moments. And when I was first talking to her about the film, she called me up and said, you know, she read the script and she liked the, the character of the mayor, but she wanted to bring a little Rob Ford to the role, so, <laughs> which she does, and it's very funny. 
so it was nice, and that was kind of this kind of nice uh, family atmosphere on the set that, that carried over, I think. So that was great. Definitely, yeah. Um, also, Meredith McNeil, who plays, uh, she's a, a, you know, a very important role in the film. She's coming off of um, BBC's a uh, couple of stints with Peep Show, among other shows. Um, what did she bring to the cast? Meredith, I didn't know her work before the film, and she actually came in to do a table read where we just, you know, in an earlier stage of the script, we got some actors together to read it just to hear what it sounded like and to see what was working and what wasn't. And she was hilarious, and she brought so much because she plays Lucy, this reporter from the city who comes to kind of follow up on these stories that our main character, Leonard, is, is making up. And on the page initially, it wasn't that funny a role. And so to have someone who kind of brought it to life and brought all these little quirks out and and also was able to spar with Ennis because that was, you know, so key to that role is to have that chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing. It was so fun. Having the two of them together was, was really great. Well, uh, I want to talk about the format of um, of comedy films. And uh, you've also worked in the past with, with Peepers, sort of a dark, dark comedy about um, <laughs> about rooftop peeping. Yeah, peeping Tom. Peeping yeah. Toms, yeah. Um, and you've also um, worked with, uh, well, I want to talk about Automatic Vaudeville Studios, uh, primarily short films. Um, what what does each media sort of, um, what 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 do you pull from each media? You know, with Automatic Vaudeville, which was this kind of grand experiment that, that uh, was part of in Montreal where we kind of made all sorts of films uh, with no money, uh, but uh, all kinds of different genres of films, and we tried to kind of recreate all these old kind of uh, Hollywood tropes and things. And um, that was really an amazing learning experience in a lot of ways because making so many films and learning how to make films, uh, you know, with no money and just kind of the, the bare bone essentials. Um, and then I was also, you know, working, writing for television. So you just kind of hone, you hone the craft. You, you see what works and what doesn't. And uh, learning how to work fast and get what you need and know what you can drop because you're, you're never going to have time to do everything you want and figuring out what, what you can get away without filming. So uh, those, were, those were valuable lessons on set. Mm-hmm. As you say, you worked with Gordon Pinsent here, a Canadian icon, but... Um, that might not be new for you. In 2012, as part of the Governor General's Performing Arts Awards, you were involved with a mentorship program with Eugene Levy, a Canadian yeah. icon. Yes, and uh, kind of a comic hero. You know, I grew up watching and loving SCTV, and I love all the, the Christopher Guest movies that uh, they made together, Waiting for Guffman. And, uh, so to have him, you know, I was lucky enough to be paired with him, and to have him... Uh, sit down and kind of read the script and talk with me about the script and tell me his perspective, which, you know, the script was in development for a long time and you get a lot of notes while the script is in development. You get a lot of different perspectives and you can get a little lost and it can be hard to tell what's, what's really working. And it's a comedy. So you really, it, it stops being funny after a while when you're just working on this. And when you've script. seen it for so long too. Yeah, exactly. So to have someone come in who can, who you can really trust if I could, Eugene Levy and, have him say, you know, this works, this doesn't. It was a great help. What What did you learn from Eugene Levy? Well, one thing is really like he, he could say what, you know, that sometimes things that were pushing too far for a joke or, or trying too hard that just wouldn't work, that they would fall flat. And that just this kind of like, and also 
he has this kind of model of working at the the top of this game and always putting your your best uh, you know forward and never taking the easy way out of it. Which when you're writing, when you're working on a script, sometimes it's easy to just say, well, this thing isn't working quite, but it'll be fine. We'll just kind of gloss over it, and to not allow yourself to do that, but to really push yourself to to uh, to do it every step of the way. Make sure it's making sense. Make sure it's working properly, and make sure there's some kind of truth or logic to it. You've also had your hand in um, in writing, and uh, there was an Indiegogo campaign, or a, well, a crowdsource campaign a little while ago for a a novel that you could um, kind of buy your way into, I suppose, with crowd crowdfunding. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that was just it was it was a kind of an experiment and kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say a joke, but just a kind of a, a funny idea that struck me. There was this, you know, this was just as these kind of crowdsourced, these crowdfunding campaigns were taking off, and I thought it'd be funny to present one that was, you could write a novel, and every element of the novel would be kind of crowdsourced from who the characters were, what the story was, what the title of the book was. Um, and uh, it was just, it was a funny idea that never actually went anywhere. It was more, it was kind of, you know, I put put it out there as a, it was just something that amused me, kind of, and uh, hopefully other people as well. Definitely, yeah. It's an it's an interesting idea, and especially one now when you think about sort of everyone getting their two bits with with ongoing Twitter conversations at a f- 140 characters apiece, I suppose. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the truth is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, how good a book that would have ended up being if it had happened. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, maybe it's a way too to just get words on a page. Is, is right. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, what what will people expect to see when they come out um, to see big news from Grand Rock? Uh, it's kind of it's a it's a real kind of almost an old fashioned comedy. It's a kind of a family comedy, which is a, 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 in some ways a strange route to go. It's not really the kind of film that's made that much anymore, um, and uh, is a bit of a throwback. But I think I think Ennis Esmer said of it that. Uh, his dad said that it was a movie that he made that isn't about sex for once. Yeah, and it's the previous credits all seem to have something to do with sex and uh, these kind of sex comedies, or you know, uh, he's written one called this next movie that he's coming out in is called uh, How to Plan a Small Town Orgy. So <laughs> he's had a series of these other kind of films, and this one is not. It's a very gentle comedy. It's very. But it just has a sweet tone. Hopefully, it captures something of this, uh, these characters and this life in this small town. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, enjoyable, you know, funny comedy. Hopefully, people enjoy it. If we have any listeners right now from a small town, they might tell us that small town orgies kind of plan themselves more than. than <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's no okay. orgies in this one. No, not in this one. Um, <laughs> but how how did the town receive you? How how were you received uh, during the filming of? Of the of the film, it was pretty uh, amazing. It was, it was really the first film that that filmed in Midland, and uh, they they opened uh, their arms for us, and uh, you know they were so supportive of the film and uh, helped out in so many different ways. And we also we held auditions in Midland because it was important to me to have some people, some local talent in the film, and we had uh, you know some of them actors, some of them never done any acting before, and they were it was great. It was great to have that as an element in the film. Excellent, definitely. Well, um, we'll be looking forward to the release. Uh, it comes out in Vancouver. It's playing at the north. Uh, it's playing on the North Shore at Esplanade Theaters on um, on this 
upcoming Friday, the 27th, and across right. Canada as well. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us about the film, and, and best of luck with, uh, with the film. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. CITR's annual fundraiser kicks off this February 26th at UBC's Pit Pump. Is CITR your favorite radio station? Do you feel an intense desire to support its continuing mission to provide alternative programming that you literally will not hear anywhere else? Maybe you answered yes, or maybe you just like to get wild and listen to good music. Either way, this event promises to provide all that and more. Featuring Ace Martins, Atsy, Tits and Bread, Listening Party, and student DJs between bands. Admission is $5 or $3 for CITR members and club affiliates. All proceeds go towards CITR's 2015 fund drive, running from February 26th to March 6th. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, Daily Grassroots Global Unembedded International Independent News Hour, and this is CITR 101.9 FM. Welcome back to the Arts Report. You are tuned in to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Now, this uh, this Saturday, February 26th, at the Chan Center, um, the new series or the series continues Beyond Words, which pairs together literature and performance. Um, part of the performance, Stephen Galloway will be reading excerpts from um, from his latest novel, The Confabulist. And Stephen joins us over the phone. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? We're doing pretty well. Thanks for taking the time with us. Um, my pleasure. So tell us about The Confabulist. Well, uh, The Confabulist is a novel which is narrated by a man named Martin Strauss, who is known to the world as the man who killed Harry Houdini. Um, A Canadian punched Harry Houdini in the stomach in 1926 in the Princess Theatre in Montreal. And um, so this book looks at the life of Harry Houdini and the man who killed him. Now, it's uh, it's a novel, and it's, um, it's... dealing with historical facts but also um but it's not historic would you classify it as historic nonfiction, or or is this uh, purely a novel is this um where where is the line i would describe it as historical fiction um with heavy on the fiction <laughs> you know there's um hist- if you kind of view history as like a template you can lay down over a story um i have been fairly faithful to the existing template, but I have also maybe added some stuff that isn't in history. So, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the movies that say this is based on true events. And <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. how far how far that can yeah. That can Only spread. the names, dates, and facts have been changed. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stephen, what what uh, sparked your interest with uh, Harry Houdini um, in particular? Well. Um, Part of, part of what sparked my interest is one of the things the book is about is the degree to which um, memory and, I guess, 
if you think of history as memory, mm-hmm. history is is made up. And the thing about Harry Houdini that I could do as a writer is have a reader wonder while they were reading the book, is this made up or is this true? Like if I make up a fiction, a completely fictional magician, no one's going to be doing that, right? People are going to know, oh, this is all made up. But because he's such a ridiculously well-known person, even, you know, 90 years after his death, I could do things with him as a writer that I really couldn't do with another character. That's such an interesting line because you, uh, it's a book about a confabulist and illusionist and you, as an author, you sort of assume that role too. You're just as Houdini would kind of misdirect and trick his audience. You sort of uh, do that to the reader as well. Yeah, um, the techniques we use as, as writers are not dissimilar from those a magician uses. Um, story, uh, magic is storytelling in a way. Why uh, do you think that we want to be tricked as, as either audience members or, or as readers? Um, I think not only do we want to be tricked, but the way our brains work uh will trick us whether we want it or not. You know, we like to think of the brain as a computer. Um, that is, however, a really bad analogy. The brain is not <laughs> a computer. The brain, the brain will take a sort of incomplete data set of sensory information and fill in holes and construct the narrative and, and change details to fit that narrative the further... Um, that you are from the initial incident. So it's, it's like, if the brain were a computer, we would have had artificial intelligence, which would have killed us all by now. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I hear uh, that you've also incorporated Sir Arthur Conan Doyle into the novel. Does he play Does he play a major role? Is he, does he kind of make a cameo appearance? <laughs> no, he's got a fairly major role. This oh, is one nice. of the weirdest... Or I think the most interesting quirks of that time period. And I think this is historical as well. This is absolutely historical. What I'll tell you is the actual history. So you have Harry Houdini, a magician, who people now think of as an occult figure. But in fact, Houdini was uh, a hardcore skeptic of all of this. He was actively trying to disbunk it, partly because he noted that a lot of the spiritualist mediums of the day were out-of-work vaudeville magicians. (laughs) And then on the other end of the spectrum. You have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes, the most rational, yeah. logical history character in the history of literature. <laughs> yeah. And Conan Doyle is writing Sherlock Holmes to fund the spiritualist movement. From about 1919 on, he got all of his advice from beyond the grave. Wow. I, um, yeah. I did not know that. That's interesting. <laughs> That's it's bizarre. And so these two became sort of frenemies with um, <laughs> sort of Houdini believing there's no way this guy could possibly be this stupid. Like, he's, he's up to something. I don't know what it is, but I'd like to figure it out. And Conan Doyle believing that Houdini actually did have magical powers and just oh sort of goodness. wasn't in touch with himself enough to realize it, and that if he could win him over to the spiritualist movement, what a coup that would be. It's the st- and all of this is well, well documented, not even remotely speculation. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> It does add a twist if you if you think about Arthur Conan Doyle as as the spiritualist. It kind of makes a little bit more sense how, with Sherlock Holmes's own kind of 
death and then return afterwards there you know there can be something to that yeah um the thing about the spiritualist movement if you look at it from today's lens is it seems kind of like quaint and ridiculous like oh yeah we're gonna have a seance and talk to people from beyond the veil Mm -hmm. but you know in the late 1800s and early 1900s science was this new thing right like there, there were so many new discoveries that, that made no sense to people whatsoever, even like radio waves. Consider going from a world of nothing like radio and then radio existing. And the way they framed spiritualism was kind of like, look, guys, we are just learning how little we know about the world. Is it really that implausible that, that when you die, there is something that's not quite heaven, but actually a scientific material version of it um it, it it it's not as sort of people in scarves kind of goofy as as it might seem to some people today yeah so from from my understanding uh your research has kind of led you to believe that uh spiritualism uh was gen like a very genuine belief for people like it was a genuine thing that they it wasn't some way of tricking people necessarily into, <laughs> into well, participation. For some people, it was. Okay. And for some people, it wasn't. Like mm. there were there were the out of work magicians. Yeah, the out of work you know, magicians were absolutely bilking little old ladies out of their savings, and taking, you know, a- after World War One, you had for the first time in a long time a generation of parents who outlived their children. That's a good point. And yeah. The 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 opportunity to exploit this grief by oh no no. Jimmy's not dead. You can talk to him here mm. for for forty pounds or whatever. Um, a lot of people did take advantage of it, but not all of them. There were a great many people who were entirely sincere in their in their beliefs, which includes uh, Conan Doyle, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Is well, that... that's a matter of speculation. Speculation, eh? Okay. Um, here's the thing. Okay, so a lot of people think, oh yes, he must have been sincere about it, but how? How do you have a séance where you're talking to a, I think it was a eighth century or seventh century BC Greek pharaoh, yeah, <laughs> and genuinely believe that's happening? You know, once you become the medium, who's manipulating you? <laughs> so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I my theory is Doyle started out being genuine, and by the time he figured out he'd been hoodwinked by his wife. He was in too deep, in too deep. <laughs> <laughs> and so just kind of went along went with along. it. <laughs> yeah. he, had play, he had to go with the image. He already, I already did that. I can't just go back <laughs> on my word now. No, it's like doubling down when yeah. you're losing in poker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> now you, so you've got these characters. You've got historical characters. What's it like to give voice to mm-hmm. to them as an author? Uh. It's it's an interesting process. It takes a while because at first they're just stiff, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're just historical characters and they don't really have a voice. And then over time you kind of stop almost stop thinking of them as historical characters. You start like when I think of Harry Houdini now, I think of the Harry Houdini in my book who I admit is like probably only 30% actual Harry Houdini. Um it's it's a strange like yeah it's a strange thing when you inhabit someone's made up consciousness for four or five or six years yeah um, 
they start to sound like real people. I know they're not. Well, they were, but uh, it's a good so you, you start to hear voices. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any concerns that maybe the the family members of of, of Houdini and uh, and other such historical characters that you incorporated into the, the novel might might have a grievance or something like that, or was that something that you kind of had to set aside in order to, like you said, inhabit them and give voice? Yeah, well, you do have to set it aside. Um, but the other thing is, um, particularly in the case of Houdini, Houdini made himself up. You yeah. know, like Houdini isn't even Houdini's name, and it's way yeah. more he complicated than character. that. Yeah. Harry Houdini was Eric Weiss, a dirt-poor Hungarian Jew who emigrated to Appleton, Wisconsin, and his father died at a, when he was young, and not young, but like a youngish man, and he created the persona of Harry Houdini, the world's greatest escape artist, mm -hmm. and then became him. And his own diaries are full of lies and inconsistencies and all this sort of stuff, because he knew we would be reading it, right? He wasn't like some teenage girl writing in her diary. He was, when he wrote in his journal, he was writing for history. So I figure if the person involved can make themselves up, then I have license to make themselves <laughs> up. It also helps he doesn't have any direct descendants. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was, I was like, oh, some distant relative out there who might claim that, but hey. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question. Um, it also says in your book that the uh, narration is alternating. So there's someone else who's also narrating, and that's Martin Strauss. Mm -hmm. and, and he's yep. the man who killed Houdini, right? Uh, well, yes and no. In okay. the book, Martin killed Houdini. Yeah, in but in real, real life, life it was yeah. somebody. Uh, Houdini was punched by... by uh, a guy named Jay Gordon Whitehead. Is a McGill mm -hmm. student, was it? Well, maybe. maybe. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. the that, story, that but there's some. Uh -huh. there's been some scholarship that suggests maybe he wasn't. There's a lot of wild theories about it. There's also a suggestion he was punched twice. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is he did not actually die as a result of being punched. Yeah. Um, you can't punch someone in the stomach hard enough to rupture their appendix. Mm -hmm. It's just not physiologically possible. Um, Houdini died of being a type A guy who refused to go to the hospital when he was really, really sick <laughs> in an age before penicillin. Um, and then his wife talked the medical examiner into saying that the punch caused the appendix, the burst appendix because she got double indemnity on the life insurance oh. if he died as a result of an accident. So it's almost immaterial who actually punched him because they see. didn't kill him. Uh, that that was what I was uh, about to ask because um, you know he's not real. This is just a, a character based on a true guy who we don't really know. Was it much more easier to write for him, or is it much more easier to write for your rendition of Houdini? Well, in some ways, it was easier to write Houdini, and mm -hmm. because there was you know the character traits were there, I and I just had to sort of embody them. But on the other hand, that becomes limiting. With Martin, mm -hmm. I could make him however I wanted or needed him to be to fit the story. So it's sort of like a coin with two sides. I wouldn't say one was easier or harder than the other, but they were really different considerations. Now, this Saturday, the um, the, the reading is part of the Beyond Words series. And so uh, it's... Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's actually Thursday. Thursday. Tomorrow night. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. I have been looking at the calendar wrong. Uh, tomorrow at, at the Chan Center. Now, um, 
it, it's not just a typical reading. What can people expect tomorrow? Well, um, I'm going to preface by saying this. I'm very rarely excited about events involving me, (laughs) and I am excited about this one. What I'm going to do is read some of the bits of the book that talk about magic and, you know, what it is a magician is doing when he's fooling us and that sort of thing. And then we have a magician, David Gifford, the great Gaffoni, who's just this (laughs) awesome, awesome magician. I like the name already. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's fantastic. He's really, I just, I get a kick out of seeing him every time I see him. And so, you know, I'll read a a short bit that leads into a trick, and then he'll, he's going to do a trick, and then I'll read a bit more, and then he'll do another neat illusion. It's going to be kind of like a conversation. I'll speak using a book, and he'll speak using magic tricks. That's awesome. Are any of the tricks uh, similar to the ones in the book, or would that, that might be overly ambitious? I think he cause... won't do the exact tricks in the <laughs> yeah, book, but, yeah. I mean, they'll be inspired, inspired? by sort of the, the, the magic tricks that were being done at that time. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah, no, it is. It's way better than your average literary reading, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, thanks very much for taking the time with us this uh, this afternoon. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Stephen Galloway is an associate professor and the acting chair at um, at the UBC Creative Writing Program. Wednesdays, three to four. <coughs> I mean, I just wanted to do a nice experimental music radio show and maybe throw in some nice like talking that anonymous, like a health private body sense of yeah, podcast. I mean, I think I could, I could talk and that's good enough. I could play music sometimes. for things that are not alright. I just radio essays and travesties, radio catechisms. Half-baked philosophy and criticism, experimental beat music, avant-garde, post-punk, industrial, noise, ad nauseum. Cue it up. Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. on CITR 11.9 FM. You are tuned into the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're getting near the end of our show. Um, so, well, we, we've been kind of telling people about events in the city throughout the show. Um, and one that I'll just mention here, it's called The Village. Um, and it's Tina Milo's The Village. And she is a performer of Serbian heritage um, that tells a darkly humorous fusion of sort of... It's sort of theater, live theater. It's th- sort of uh, performance-based, and it draws on real stories. Um, and so that is um, playing this week at um, at Firehall Arts until the 28th. And was there... Um, what else can we send people to? Oh, man. Robbie, do you have an event? Uh, <laughs> not so. About? Again, um, I've talked about Class Act a lot uh, on the radio here at CITR, but... Yes, we. I, my band is indeed playing a show this Friday, um, but instead I will talk to you about the openers for my band uh, because they're really talented. Uh, and one of the opening acts uh, is Kim Mortal. Kim Mortal is uh, actually a, f- a former guest on the Arts Report, but she's actually also a 
uh, singer-songwriter slash uh, female MC. She is amazing at what she does. She kind of incorporates hip-hop and even you could even say like indie rock slash folk into her music. She's um, very talented, not only in spoken word and uh, lyric composition, but she's also a very talented artist herself, visual artist. So she kind of incorporates uh, all these elements into her music. And uh, she's going to be performing with the live band uh, at the Backstage Lounge opening for uh, Class Act. Kimortal uh, uh, alone would be worth going for. But, uh, you know, there's also another amazing hip-hop talent coming straight from UBC. His name is Francis Arevalo, a.k.a. Aloe. And uh, he is actually um, also part of... Uh, he's, he's the head, you could say, currently of this movement called the Good Getters. And UBC's is filled with many talented people who are passionate about music or graphic design or social media and connecting people. So he's, uh, Francis Arevalo, being um, the amazing people person he is, he's very good at getting people together. He got this group of uh, like-minded uh, and talented UBC people and decided, hey, let's try and make our passions uh, come into fruition. Let's try and make something uh, productive and constructive uh, and we'll work together to achieve this. So if you want to check him out, uh, AKA, uh, Francis, a.k.a. Uh, Aloe, he will be also performing on uh, uh, Friday with Class Act. And his music is, uh, uh, it's its definitely more hip-hop side of things, but I could compare him to Shad, uh, another Canadian hip-hop artist. If he's taken a lot of uh, influence from him and, He's kind of incorporated his own style. He's made, uh, Francis has made some really cool songs that reference UBC. So if you're uh, wanting something that's really relevant to you, like songs,